0: morning today's reading is from mark chapter 9 verses 14 through 29 when they came to the other disciples they saw a large crowd around them and the teachers of the law arguing with them as soon as all the people saw jesus they were overwhelmed with wonder and ran to greet him what are you arguing with them about he asked a man in the crowd answered teacher i brought you my son who is possessed by a spirit that has robbed him of speech Whenever it seizes him, it throws him to the ground. He foams at the mouth, gnashes his teeth, and becomes rigid. I asked your disciples to drive out the spirit, but they could not. You, unbelieving generation, Jesus replied, how long shall I stay with you? How long shall I put up with you? Bring the boy to me. So they brought him. When the spirit saw Jesus, it immediately threw the boy into a convulsion. He fell to the ground and rolled around, foaming at the mouth. Jesus asked the boy's father, how long has he been like this? From childhood, he answered, it has often thrown him into the fire or water to kill him. But if you can do anything, take pity on us and help us. If you can, said Jesus, everything is possible for one who believes. Immediately, the boy's father exclaimed, I do believe, help me overcome my unbelief. When Jesus saw that a crowd was running to the scene, He rebuked the impure spirit you deaf and mute spirit he said I command you come out of him and never enter him again the spirit shrieked convulsed him violently and came out the boy looked so much like a corpse that many said he's dead but Jesus took him by the hand and lifted him to his feet and he stood up after Jesus had gone indoors his disciples asked him privately why couldn't we drive it out he replied this kind can come out only by prayer. This is the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ.
1: We're in a series, just began a new series called Lessons on the Way to the Cross. And what we're going to do for the next several weeks, six more I think, is uh, pick out particular episodes or teachings on the life of Jesus as he's on the way to the cross. And today we pick this episode, the episode of demon possession of this young boy. So let me start this way. This is a controversial topic, right? Of course it is. Why? Because a lot of people don't believe in these things, don't believe in demons. They think there's other explanations for everything, and the supernatural doesn't need to be included in a variety of explanations. Have you ever noticed how it's so easy for people to believe in angels but not so easy for them to believe in demons? I've noticed that. The problem we have is a problem that places us in the historical minority. Okay? So in the history of the world, the vast majority of people had no difficulty with this topic. They believed in the supernatural. As a matter of fact, we're not only in the historical minority when we doubt the existence of demons and the devil, we're actually in a contemporary minority. Now, you might say, oh, come on, Bob. Where I live, it's not a minority opinion. It's the majority opinion. There's no such thing as demons. That only proves that you need to get outside your bubble, wherever that is. Because, my friends, the rest of the world has no problem with this concept. If you don't believe me, if you get the opportunity... Travel to every country you can, and don't go to the upper echelons in that country. Be with the real people, and you will find out they definitely believe in the supernatural across this world. There's a reason that we struggle with the idea of the supernatural, or in this case, demons in our culture. I like the way a scholar, Leslie Newbigin, put it. He was a former missionary and theologian. He said the reason we struggle with this is because of what he calls a cultural plausibility structure. Okay, it's not really that hard. A plausibility structure is basically this. It's a criteria for what counts as true knowledge. Okay. So you have an event, you have something that transpires, and the plausibility structure says the explanation is this. You find it in this way. For instance, in this passage, if some of you didn't think this, let me help you think it. You look at this episode, and you say to yourself, the boy had epilepsy. He fell down, he got stone dead, he frothed at the mouth. All those things seem very much like the condition that we call epilepsy. There is a medical, scientific reason for the episode that I just saw. That's a plausibility structure that we routinely work with or others work with. In other words, everything can be explained this way. That explanation even extends to behavior, genetics, and a variety of other things. When you look at this passage, there are at least two possible interpretations. Of course, one interpretation is the writer of the book of Mark was expressing a cultural phenomena concerning demons that's not real, but he thought it was. Okay, I'll just give you, that's a possible explanation. You might expect it's not what I accept. On the other hand, one interpretation of this passage might be something like this. What you see in this passage is a particular manifestation of the demonic. That is this particular manifestation of the demonic has nothing to do with epilepsy, even though it looks like it. That's one possible interpretation of this passage. Another possible interpretation of this passage is to say, what we have here is a universal manifestation of the demonic. No doubt a demon was involved, but the universal manifestation of the demonic ...is routinely spoken of as it relates to sickness and as it relates to things like epilepsy. And Jesus enters this world and heals and touches and cures people. And sometimes we call it demonic. Now you might say, now that's really a skeptical approach, Bob... I'm not suggesting it's the best approach to the interpretation of this passage, but let me suggest something else. When you think about the world of the demonic, this passage and other passages, you do not want to limit yourself just to the particular episode and define all of reality based on that particular episode. Why? Because what we know about the larger tapestry of Scripture is this. Everything that is subject to death and decay is subject to death and decay. Why? Because of sin and Satan. Everything. So you may look at this and say to yourself, it sounds a lot like epilepsy. Well, maybe there's something to do with it. And you know why epilepsy exists? Sin and Satan. Sin and Satan have entered into the life of the people of God and do their best, sin and Satan, to destroy the people of God and to destroy all humanity. Which is why sometimes we say things like the demon of cancer or the demon of alcoholism or the demon of mental illness or the demon the forces of Satan that manifest itself in the violent killing of 17 young people at a high school in South Florida you see my friends We can point to an individual, we can point to a circumstance, but from a larger view, it's the work of the enemy of our souls to seek and kill and destroy. So you know what the problem with what has been called the cultural plausibility structure is. The way to approach every problem in a singular fashion, it's just that. It approaches all of reality in a singular fashion. There's nothing wrong with science. It's a wonderful discovery. Medicine could cure so many different things. But if all we focus on is our one plausibility structure, that all of life and all of reality can be reduced to this physical, material point of view, We're missing something. Matter of fact, if that is our approach, we're really narrow-minded. We haven't opened ourselves to the possibility of something that cannot be seen that is powerfully spiritual. Oh, by the way, that wasn't the sermon. That was just the introduction, okay? Seriously. So here's part two. Let's just take a look at the story for a minute, okay? Let's look at the story. First thing I want you to notice, or maybe you did already notice, is um, if you were reading in your Bible, you didn't see it on the screen, is what immediately preceded this episode? Jesus was on the Mount of Transfiguration. He was up there in the glory, in the stratosphere. God was saying, this is my beloved son, listen to him. He was up there with Elijah and Moses who had already died and gone to heaven. And they were there and the disciples were overwhelmed. Three of them, Peter, James, and John. That's living the high life, man. That's up there in the clouds. And then, boom, he's back on the ground. This is where the rubber meets the road. This is where sin and demons enter the picture. He comes back down to what you might call the real world. And as soon as he hits the real world, all hell breaks loose. Literally speaking. The hellacious nature of the demonic power is right in front of him. Right after he comes off the Mount of Transfiguration. You know, being on the Mount of Transfiguration, that's even higher than coming out of church on Sunday morning, right? You you come out of church on Sunday morning, sometimes... When somebody else is preaching besides me, and you come out and you're, you're on a high and you, and you think you got it and you, you're focused and you're praising God and then Monday hits, right? That's what this episode is like. Jesus, the Mount of Transfiguration, demons and a boy. What is also interesting about this story is imagine Jesus coming down from the Mount of Transfiguration and encountering this, this circus, The circuits that's in front of him is the religious leaders are arguing about why the demon can't be cast out. And they're pointing fingers at the disciples, and they're saying, why can't you do this? And they're debating the whole theological foundation of demonism, right? Everything's going on there in this conversation. We don't have all the details, but it's a mess. And when people see Jesus coming down out of the mountain, they just rush to him. The crowd, they just rush to him. Why? Why? Because he carries an aura of authority? Yeah, we know that's true. Because he's a master teacher and he seems to always have the answer? Yes, that seems to be true. Is it because they know he's healed and could do it again? Probably true. Or maybe... Like Moses coming down from Mount Sinai, he's just a glow in the glory of God. Or maybe all of the above. All we know is that when Jesus comes, the chaos subsides and all eyes turn to him. They want answers. It's a good place to start, isn't it? The one who is the way, the truth, and the life. Smart people. Jesus asks an explanation for this whole thing and what's going on. And they say, well, your disciples couldn't cast out the demon. Doesn't look like things are working. We don't understand what's going on. And he says something that sounds like exasperation. He says, oh, you faithless generation you'll never get it will you you don't understand and as a matter of fact how much longer do i have with you and then the phrase that's inserted in the niv is not necessarily a proper phrase but you could take it if you wanted and it says that he was exasperated with them basically right he may have been i i think he probably was but just to s- express jesus's exasperation probably misses a bigger point point. and the bigger point was this he's saying you faithless people How much longer do I have with you? Not much time. I've been teaching you, disciples and other people, what the kingdom of God is all about. And we're in year number three, and I'm about ready to go to the cross. I sure wish I had more time so you could get it. Jesus enters into their controversy that way. And then the Father approaches that, don't you just love this father i i love this guy and he tells jesus look i don't know what to do i mean i'm overwhelmed i've got no other backup plan jesus jesus can you can you do something If you can, have pity on us. Now before we say something about his response, Jesus' response, let me say something about the Father. I know what he was feeling. You'll never know it fully if you're not there yet before you have children. I remember the first time my first child got sick. I came home from work and Brenda said, David's sick. He's really sick. He was just a little guy, a little baby. He was just limp as a dish rag in his little bassinet thing. He wouldn't really respond to us at all. Um, His skin was just, you know, kind of getting not chubby but flabby because he was dehydrating, couldn't keep anything down all night and all day. And I remember looking at my son. And it's the first time it ever happened. I'd never experienced this before. I looked at my son, and the first thought that came into my head was this. I wish I could just crawl into his little body and take the illness for him. I never thought that way about another individual. I just, I just wanted to suck it into myself. Why? Because as a desperate young, and I was a really young father, a desperate young father, I wanted to do Anything. help my child. That's where this father is. Jesus, I got no other alternative. If you can please help, have pity. And Jesus says, if you can? Really? All things are possible for those who believe. Just believe. Do you believe, sir? I don't know if it was really true, but I like to think That when this man answered, he was on his knees. Because that's what it says about his whole demeanor. I like to think he was on his knees. And he said to Jesus, Yes, I believe. But Lord, help my unbelief. Yes, Lord, I'm here. Why else would I be here? I do believe, but I don't have enough faith. Lord, I believe. Please help my unbelief. I've said before, this guy is my favorite disciple. He's not one of the 12, but he's a Christ follower. He is my favorite disciple because he is honest about his faith. D.L. Moody once said that there were three kinds of faith. There was an absolutely desperate faith. It was like the man who was in the water flailing around and screaming, somebody, please help. There was another kind of faith, he said. It was the kind of faith a man is clinging to the boat, and doesn't have enough energy to get up out of the water and into the boat, and he cries for help. And then there's another kind of faith, he said. He called it resting faith. He said it's when you're in the boat and you're just resting in the presence of God. You know, that's a, a really wonderful picture. Moody had a great way of painting pictures with words. But can I add something to Moody's comment? If you're like me, you've been in all those places. No, no, not just after you became a believer and your faith wasn't really that strong yet. I'm talking about mature faith. And I don't know about you, my friends, but in my mature faith, and it's pretty darn mature after all these years, I sometimes am still in the water thrashing around and saying, I gotta have help. And there's other times in my mature faith that I'm hanging onto the edge of the boat because I don't have the strength to pull myself in. And thanks be to God. There's times where I'm resting in the boat, calm in the presence of Jesus. See, I think this man was flailing around in the water. And Jesus pulled him to the boat and placed him in the stern. It's likely he someday, again, would be out there in the water. But Jesus didn't condemn him. He just said all things are possible to those who believe. There's a number of things I want to say. Now, now I'm on to the sermon. okay? Uh, concerning this passage. And the first thing I want to say is there's an enemy out there. You say, that's a big duh. No, it's not a big duh. you got to believe this. If you're going to be serious about your life of faith, you have to believe that there's an enemy out there. Not that you just fall and fail, and you just can't get it right, and you're not good enough. There's an enemy out there. And the enemy has a name. On one occasion, the Apostle Paul put it this way. He said, our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against rulers, against authorities, against powers of this dark world, against spiritual forces of evil in heavenly realms. you got to believe it. There's an enemy out there. So put on the full armor of God, he said. The beginning of faith is actually believing that there's an enemy out there. If you want weak faith, don't believe this. You want robust faith, start right here. The second thing, this enemy wants to destroy us. This enemy doesn't want to just toy with us like a cat toys with a mouse. He wants to eat us. He wants to destroy us. And all around us, the enemy is doing his best to destroy. John 10, Jesus talks about being the good shepherd and having a sheep pen. And he calls himself the door. And he says, but I want you to know something else. There's an enemy that comes to steal and destroy. Satan. On another occasion, a person who knew a lot about the enemy, that is Peter, wrote these words in 1 Peter 5.8. Be alert and sober-minded. Why? Because your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking for someone to devour. You're one of the someones. When Jesus was praying to the Father on behalf of the believers, he said, Lord, I don't want you to take them out of the world. It's really going to get tough with them. I don't want you to take them out of the world, but what I want you to do is protect them from the evil one. Who? The evil one, Satan. I want you to protect those who believe from Satan because there's an enemy out there, and it wants to destroy you. Now, you might think this next point is a bit redundant. But it's for point of emphasis. The enemy wants to destroy your soul. Jesus Jesus said, Don't be afraid of those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Rather, be afraid of the one who can destroy both soul and body in hell. The enemy wants to suck your soul. The fourth point is this faith is the ultimate weapon the absolutely ultimate weapon. Now, before you rush to a conclusion that I sometimes rush to, it's not perfect faith that's the ultimate weapon. It's faith, however little you have, in the one who is perfect, Jesus Christ. That's the ultimate weapon. Faith in your risen Lord. And you know what it takes to have faith? Humility. And a lot of it. Why? Because in order to have faith, you have got to bow down to and submit to an invisible God that does not seem to be everywhere at all times when you're having trouble. You've got to believe in the world of the unseen. You've got to turn your life over to a God who gives advice that sometimes seems absolutely counterintuitive. It takes humility to have faith. That's why in the epistle of James, he writes these words, God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. So submit yourself to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. The final point is this, and is this not the best news ever? Christ intercedes for us. No matter what you're going through, Christ intercedes for you. I love the passage where Jesus speaks to Peter after Peter has decided he's not going to do anything but follow Jesus till the very end, and Jesus says to him, Peter, Satan wants to sift you like wheat but I have prayed for you and my prayer is that you'll be restored and you'll come back and you'll minister to your brothers and sisters Peter, Satan wants you but I'm interceding for you Paul says, who is it that condemns? No one Christ Jesus who died more than that who was raised to life at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. Words in Hebrews, he is able to save completely those who come to God through him because he always lives to intercede for them. In the midst of the battle, Jesus Christ, the risen Lord, intercedes on your behalf. Don't give up hope. Even in your struggle, you're being prayed for. So a few concluding thoughts. First one is this, you know what? There's no way to avoid the battle, even if you don't believe in it. It might be that you don't believe in demons and devils. Doesn't matter. They exist. It might be that you don't think there actually is an enemy of your soul. Sorry, there is. The reality exists apart from your belief. And here's the admonition, you better start believing. You better check in with this reality, because it's true, whether you believe it or not. The second thing is is I want to caution us against something. I want to caution us against blaming the devil for everything, right? I mean, that's an easy thing to do. Blame the devil for everything. I mean, really, come on. When you were nasty to that store clerk last week, was it the devil that got inside you or was it just you inside you, huh? It'd be so easy for me to blame the devil for all my sins and not take responsibility for them. Is anybody here old enough to remember the comedian Flip Wilson? See, I didn't think so. Well, some of you. Yeah, don't worry, thank you. Flip Wilson, he used to have this famous phrase that he always used, the devil made me do it. Right? Anything that went wrong, the devil made me do it. He wouldn't take responsibility for anything because the devil made him do it. It was a joke, of course, but sometimes Christians are like that, aren't we? We're like, oh, it must have been the principalities and powers. No, it wasn't the principalities and the powers. It was you being stupid and sinful, right? You're just like me. So don't blame the devil for everything in terms of each episode. The third thing, and I love this about the passage. You know what this father did? He brought his son to Jesus. My friends, when you don't know what else to do, when your friends or family are far from God, when they need healing, When it looks like, or at least you worry, that the life of faith in your children is just going to be snuffed out, just bring them to Jesus. You can do it. Through prayer, when you've got nothing else, just bring them to Jesus. I also love this story because, as I mentioned earlier, this man admits his lack of faith. He admits his lack of faith because he has to be honest. Uh, This book will really alarm some of you, but I'm going to take the risk and tell you about a book that I've really appreciated in the last few years. It was a book entitled... The Skeptical Believer. And it was written by a devoted Christian. As a matter of fact, a number of years ago, we invited Daniel Taylor to do a seminar here on that book. And basically, he says, sometimes Christians are smoke blowers. We just say all the right things and say we believe it and that we think that the louder we say it, the bigger the smoke And we're hiding behind a residual doubt deep within us. And he says, you need to be honest about that. And you also need to embrace it and realize that it's okay. Like this father. I believe, Lord, but help my unbelief. At one point, Daniel Taylor summarizes it this way. He says, I have faith and I have doubt. But at the end of the day, my doubt has to come to terms with my faith. Jesus ends this whole thing, I I don't know if you remember, with a conversation with the disciples and the disciples say, why didn't this work? Basically, they were saying, Lord, we saw you do it before. We followed all the rules. It didn't work. Why didn't it work? And Jesus said, These kind, they don't come out except by prayer. You could go a lot of different directions with that, but let me focus on just one main thing. Jesus is basically saying, You can't go through the routines. And expect the power of God to be present. You can't just read your Bible and expect that that will be it. You can't go to church and expect that that will be it. You can't sing songs of praise and expect that that will be it. You can't do all those things like incantations and expect the power of God to be present in your life. You must be passionate in prayer. And you know what it means to pray? It means to get humble. It means to say, I don't have it. It means to say, I don't understand. It means to say that I have got no hope without your power, God. Says Jesus, this kind's not coming out. By doing all the right things, you must have the power of prayer. So you know what? I, I want to end with a final flurry of admonition it's not my words at all they're the words of Paul in light of all this put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes you may be able to stand your ground and after you have done everything to stand stand firm then with a belt of truth buckled around your waist With the breastplate of righteousness in place. With your feet fitted. With the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to all this, take up the shield of faith. Remember how important faith was in the story? In addition to everything else, take up that shield of faith. Don't give up on what you know to be true, even when you doubt it. Take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flames, the flaming arrows of the evil one. And take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of the Lord. And it's almost like Paul was thinking about this episode in the life of Jesus. And he says, pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests be alert always and pray for all of the lord's people that's great advice we're in a battle but you know what the good news is the battle's already been won you know what the good news is this is a victory lap You know what the good news is? Jesus is going to wrap up all this mess. And if you don't lose faith in him, you will be with him in glory. That is good news. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for how the scriptures are hard. Sometimes hard to understand. It makes us work we thank you for how they're hard to accept on occasion because they're countercultural and they fly in the face of common wisdom and and great smart people and we pause to say thank you we're glad it's that way because it forces us to be humble to realize we don't have all the answers, and to see with the eyes of faith. So we pray that you will help us, Lord, this week to see with the eyes of faith. May we admit our faith is weak, may we ask for you to allow it to grow, and may we be passionate in prayer. And may your kingdom come and your will be done in our lives, in this church, and on earth, just as it is in heaven. In the name of Christ, our Lord, we pray. Amen.
0: Would you stand with us as we praise God?